Welcome to this edition of No Nonsense. We begin with a few notes on the week in politics. Of course, a new cabinet has been named. The Prime Minister is traveling to the G20 and a major climate conference, but stop first in the Netherlands, where I hope he will look at their model for MAID, medical assistance in dying. They have recognized it should be the patient's right to make end-of-life decisions, of course, in consultation with the doctor. They have also recognized advanced requests so that those who may fall ill with dementia or Alzheimer's can make a decision in advance. Also, in the next few days, we'll update the file on censorship and free speech. The government has reiterated its intent to push forward with the law that will give it, the government, broad powers to censor, perhaps even silence its critics. It will be a new bill to replace C-10 that we have discussed often here on the podcast. The new minister, Pablo Rodriguez, replacing Stephen Gilbo, says he intends to push this through come what may. Then later in the week, Tim Cook, military historian, as we prepare to mark Remembrance Day. But Canadian flags are still flying at half-mast, a gesture by the Prime Minister to acknowledge the residential schools issues. But how do we now lower the flags to respect our veterans, as we must every November 11th? And speaking of veterans, today, vets are working 24-7 to do the job our government couldn't or wouldn't do, to live up to our promise to bring not only our citizens home from Afghanistan, but to provide refuge for those Afghans, interpreters, cooks, the many who stood alongside our troops on the battlefield. Today, an update on the unfolding humanitarian crisis prompted by the botched and abrupt exit of U.S. forces before civilians could be safely evacuated, and the fact, of course, that our own diplomats left the country, stranding those we promised to help. Other countries sent planes and buses and assistance, and we sent emails and false hope. Kevin Newman, longtime journalist in this country and stateside who covered this war, many others, now works as a volunteer with Veterans in Transition, and he joins us today. Kevin, good to see you again. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Pam. This uh, recent story, just if we can get into that, more leaks of more documents in which we have not only released the names, but the faces of Taliban or of Afghans who worked with us so that the Taliban would be able to, you know, single them out in a moment. How does this happen? Well, uh, it's a very good question. Uh, it's obviously very dangerous for those people because one of the things that you have to appreciate about the Taliban is that they're quite sophisticated in uh, how they manage information. They have a lot of help from other countries in managing that information. So knowing uh, the pictures, they have biometric scanners. Um, they have an ability to tap into cell phones and to track cell phones, and some of that information included cell phones. Um, it, it, it happens because uh, perhaps somebody who doesn't understand the stakes yeah. is moving paper throughout the bureaucracy, not realizing that a single attachment can be devastating for some of those people. And I think it's sort of characterized how uh, the immigration department has handled these cases from the very beginning. They have 
just treated them like mishandled might be a better word (laughs) or mishandled they've treated them like just any immigrant whereas these are people with targets on their backs and you know there is a special process for them to uh to be uh to be processed but what's been lacking for months maybe even more than a year is any sense of urgency here that's the thing, uh, David Fraser, who you work with and who I know well, who commanded our our troops there. He just he seems too puzzled by this. Like we have been talking about this since 2011 when we pulled out our troops that we had a moral obligation to people who risked their lives to protect our soldiers. Yeah, and I I don't know if you caught the Fifth Estate uh, this week, but they did Indeed, an hour long. Yeah, they did an hour-long documentary, and what I learned in that documentary was even members of the Liberal Caucus were writing to senior ministers, uh, Minister of Defense, Immigration, uh, Global Affairs, for more than a year. Uh, 17 uh, members of the caucus signed on, another 11 later, and said, we have to do something for these people. Now, this was long before the Taliban had marched through Afghanistan. This is when you know, Donald Trump was negotiating with with uh, right. with the Afghans to do it. So so the government was aware for a very long time. Now, when Kabul fell more quickly than they expected, they said, how could we have known? Well, what we learned from the fifth estate is they did know and they didn't just know from generals and veterans and journalists that were saying, hey, we got to do something for these people. There were members of the Liberal Party that were angry about this and were pleading with him to do things. And as the fifth estate reported last night, no one even bothered to write them back. Not, not to mention the fact that three generals who served in Afghanistan wrote letters doing the same kind of begging and pleading, saying, guys, we've, we need to do this. We promised and we're waiting too long. Anybody who followed Twitter or any other kind of news scenes knew that, that the Taliban were on the march. Uh, everybody agrees they, they did it pretty quickly, but that's because there was very little resistance. Yeah, I mean, it turns out the large numbers of the Afghan uh, army just folded, never even fired a shot. So, I mean, and that was maybe a little surprising, but it really shouldn't have been because we had no, fought alongside shouldn't. the ANA. And, you know, you know, that's what intel is for, is to to, yeah. to gauge that. So, And their yeah, families' so, lives were at risk, too, if they, if they decided to make that stand without any backup. If you take people's backup away, you know, they're, they're not going to be quite as... Uh, brave or aggressive. Yeah. And uh, as the Fifth Estate reported, and you and I had talked before, uh, you know, one of the other problems that Canada had is that its ambassador in the final uh, uh, days before Kabul fell, um, you know, uh, had scheduled leave and took it and took with him all the embassy staff. And um, so there has been nobody inside Afghanistan ever since, and we're talking months. So every other country has a few people, not a lot, but they have yeah. representatives there trying to negotiate with the Taliban, have eyes on uh, what this uh, strategy situation is there and, and just how dangerous, and it's disintegrating every day. Yeah. But we still have no one from the Canadian government in Afghanistan to help these people that the government pledged they would try to get out, get out. That's what was what was quite stunning because the Ukrainians, the French, the Americans, I mean, we can go through the list, all managed to send in big transport planes to drop off buses, to drop off, you know, vehicles, modes of transport, to drop off people, 
to help uh, citizens of all countries, ours included. And we were literally asking people to fill out forms and send emails to Ottawa. It's it's stunning. Well, and I'm I'm in Ottawa right now, Pam, and just attended a a conference for a better tomorrow that Lisa Raid and Emma Cullen uh, right. uh, have hosted, and it was it was interesting because everybody's been locked away, so there was a. Uh, there's a lot of chitter chatter and uh, yeah. and gossip in between because people haven't had the opportunity to do it. But but one of the things that's becoming clear to me is that there there were uh, assets from the Department of National Defense that were deployed to the region, but were never given the authority uh, to go into Kabul to do the kinds of work that you've just mentioned that other countries were doing. So. Um, a decision was made on the level of engagement that uh, leaders felt comfortable um, uh, doing, and and the decision was obviously uh, very minimal. That's what I think troubles everybody. That of course there was nothing done in advance. We know that in the in the weeks and months leading up, but but the election was actually called on the day that Kabul fell. And it does signal the fact that they just simply weren't interested. They had their domestic political focus, period, full stop. Uh, we'll deal with that another day, unfortunately. Well, and one of the emails that the Fifth Estate was able to get, they they were able to obtain about 200 uh, yeah. uh, pages of correspondence. And one of them uh, was from a Liberal MP from Thunder Bay, same party, who, yeah. who re- really, really put it well, where he says, you know, does anybody care? And he never got an answer to that letter either. So I guess he did get an answer in a, in, in a way. So tell us a little bit about what's going on, because uh, the Fifth Estate, uh, Global, uh, CTV, everybody has been trying to shine a light on this. Uh, promises that, you know, they're considering new measures and considering money to help organizations like the one you work with because you're setting up safe houses for people you're trying to find transportation out of the country for people where where is the government's reaction today well um the the group uh of it was it it became an alliance uh of not only veterans and former soldiers but uh journalists uh development workers ngos we decided to come together uh, to exchange information, and maybe that would push government uh, and give government one point of contact as well. So uh, one of the decisions that's had to be made is that those safe houses can no longer be financially sustained. There are so many people in them, and uh, Global National and uh, Stuart Bell and Jeff Semple did an amazing piece uh, revealing what life was like in, in those safe houses this week. And those people, unfortunately, because of the lack of funds from the fundraising effort, which has been pretty miraculous. I mean, you know how hard it is to raise money. Yeah, and a lot of people are stepping up, but it's not enough if you don't have government back. It wasn't. No. And so the Fifth Estate uh, piece showed uh, the former immigration minister, uh, Marco Mendicino, saying that money money would be coming uh, to the veterans. Uh, It it never did. And so those safe houses are in the final days, and uh, they are being closed, and people are having to figure out for themselves now uh, where they're going to find shelter, where they're going to find safety, uh, where they're going to find food. And as you know, Pam, uh, food is becoming an increasingly uh, big problem uh, throughout Afghanistan. I mean, you know, there's there's already warnings that uh, that Afghanistan is heading for its worst humanitarian crisis ever. 
It's a huge issue in good times, never mind bad times, and just True. in terms of the country. These safe houses are in Afghanistan. Where are they? I mean, are they spread over? Are you talking about safe houses in Pakistan or other third countries as well? Yeah, no. I mean, what they were established when the Canadian government uh, came up with its um, program uh, for extracting people. Uh, unfortunately, you had to be in Kabul to do it because only right. Kabul had the internet infrastructure. You had to visit the Canadian embassy to get your your uh, fingerprints done. This is some of this onerous paperwork load. So people left Kandahar, moved to uh, the Kabul region, and that's where those safe houses are. They're they're in the Kabul region, and there were several of them. I uh, don't want to obviously give no, up no, precisely I no. where, but um, but yeah, and so those people can't go back to Kandahar now because everybody in their neighborhood knows they left to try to get to Canada. So they're, they're in the worst situation because they don't know people in Kabul and, and in Afghanistan, you know, uh, like in Canada or any other country, people from Kandahar look a little bit different than people from yeah. Kabul. People in Kandahar usually have beards, people in uh, men in Kabul do not. Tribal so, culture and they look very, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so they stand out, and it's hard for them, hard to them to integrate. So you know, we 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 worry a lot about it, and that's one of the reasons that this same coalition, now that there are new ministers in position in each of the areas yeah. uh, th that uh, that that matter here, uh, we are making a really big effort to engage government. Now that it's it's clear what the real situation is after all the reporting that's gone on the last couple of weeks. And saying, look, at, we have tested some other ways that we think we can get people out if you help us this time. And so we'll see what the government says. We're not giving up on these people. They are yeah. uh, in desperate need of, of safety. And frankly, I think our national character is at stake. If, if we don't keep trying to bring them out, now a partner, as much as this was needed before, is really needed. Because that, if, if you've seen some of the pictures of the land routes that mm -hmm. this this group has been using those are now clogged pakistan just this morning has said it doesn't want to bring in any more people so the only way out now is by air and um, some work needs to begin urgently together to figure out is it possible because there are some countries that are flying people out yeah. and canada has not been one of them I, it just it's um I don't it, it, this is a moral obligation and this is you know we all we everybody has to set politics aside here this is about uh, a commitment to people who protected our soldiers in in many cases put their own families at great risk in order to support us this the reporting that's going on is quite amazing and and I'm just wondering you know, whether or not you think that is having an effect. I saw a global piece this week in which they were, the Taliban was allowing the reporter to film around what was the Canadian embassy, quote unquote, uh, open bags of garbage. Even in those bags were pieces of paper with lists and, of you know, names on them. And you're thinking, giving this other reporting of 200 pages of documents and biographies and pictures and you know specific information that we're we're still creating a problem well uh, or you know an, an alternate theory could be that the taliban has those lists yeah and inviting a reporter to take a picture of the list suggests that that's a warning 
We yeah. know who your people are. We yeah. know where they are. And yeah. um, and that's another, you know, the security situation is another reason to perhaps, you know, not not house them the, the way that we have, because it can make them a target if their whereabouts are known. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's that is very. I just uh, want to say we don't know that those pages that we saw did contain that information. But I think you're quite right. The Taliban let that picture out for a very specific purpose. Yeah, they're very sophisticated at that. Um, yeah. They they and they're you know they're playing to the hearts and minds. They they need the they need humanitarian assistance and uh, and and they're trying to you know change the narrative. Now now for, for the government here, you know I think they believe that they have held the narrative by saying over and over we are welcoming forty thousand Afghans mm -hmm. uh, into Canada. Uh, and some have arrived, to be clear. Uh, I was watching uh, the Fifth Estate piece last night with a, a, a buddy of mine. Uh, who's a veteran who helped get yeah. his interpreter out and, and we were watching it together. So there there are some out who got out early, but this 40,000 number seems to have stuck and the government thinks, okay, well, there may be an impression that there's 40,000, but that's 40,000 positions they're pledging for over a period of time. Yeah. And that is not yeah. a, that's not a pledge to get them here. That's saying, if you can make it out, yeah, you know, there's, there's a good chance you might, we might be able to accept you, but there's been no one that the government has assisted in actually leaving Afghanistan since the ambassador left. And that was before the Taliban happened. And, you know, they, they did bring in the, the planes that were filled with people that got through the airport, but we still have no accounting from the government of how many Canadian cases were on that plane or whether they were simply moving the uh, people for countries that were far more effective in getting their people to the airport to be able to be rescued. Watching what your friends and colleagues, and I know some of them as well, uh, veterans of Afghanistan, making this happen, somehow getting vehicles, and again, we won't get into all of the details, loading people up, moving them, taking them to safe houses. It can be done by people who are former military. They, they have connections, but they don't have money, uh, and yet they're making this all happen. So if you guys can do it, it can be done. You know, at this point, there's not much sense. I mean, let's partner. You know, yeah. if, if, if the problem is that we need to pay local people and this group has established what has proved to be an effective network, yeah. uh, 300, more than 300 individuals have been able to come out through this network, then, you know, let's, let's open up the door uh, let's welcome in uh, and learn from what NGOs and journalists and, and veterans are learning. And, and they have the eyes on the ground. They have the intel. So, I mean, as you know, Pam, so often in government, uh, the answer is, uh, thanks very much for what you're telling us. We'll take it from here. Yeah. Um, and that that is how this began. There was a group of volunteers that said, here's the list. These people need to get out. And, and the IRCC said, well, thank you for the list. We'll take it from here. And no and one's gotten out since. <laughs> Let's, um, I'd like, I'd be interested in your thinking on this because we always have mixed views. You know, should we go to the Olympic Games in Beijing or should we boycott? You know, what's the, what's the moral thing to do? What do we do in Afghanistan? Do we give humanitarian aid when we know people are starving on the ground, but it means putting it through the hands of the Taliban that will kill the people that helped our soldiers just as soon as look at them? Well, um, 
you know, uh, you and I both know that quite often when the Canadian government gives money, it goes into the hands of the wrong people. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, the Taliban uh, is one of those people. But even without the Taliban, there was plenty of corruption in the Afghan yeah. government, uh, the democratic government. And, and so, um, you know, uh if aid agencies, and it sounds like the Red Crescent and the Médecins Sans Frontières is interested, that might be the way to do it. And I think that is the way the Canadian government is doing because you you know that there's an accounting for the money. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, it, it sounds to me from the reports that I'm hearing that, you know, like airlifts of food and, and water and things may be in the future for that country. So... You know, there are there are many countries that are talking directly to the Taliban, and that includes the United States of America. Yep. Um, and um, Canada's government uh, has said that they will not talk directly to the Taliban. That's its position. Um, it, 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 it seems to be an outlier in that position right now, mm -hmm. because even even the United States, even the UK, the Finns and others do have some discussions going on um, directly. And that's some of the reason that, that they have been perhaps more successful in extracting some of the people out. I mean, I was looking at the accounting in the United States and, you know, since they started and, and you rightfully pointed out, it was it was a mess for them, too, and many other countries. But they've been able to pull out about 75,000 people from inside Afghanistan um, by engaging the Taliban partly. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, our numbers from inside Afghanistan tell us that, you know, we're, 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 we're barely at 300. Well, too often we just leave the heavy lifting to some other country, uh, you know, often the Americans. Yeah, um, often the Americans. And I don't, I'm finding it interesting, Pam, that they're not interested in playing that role with us the same way. Exactly. Because we kind of burned that bridge. I mean, when I went over there early, you know, we had no airlift and we got caught on a uh, a forward operating base and you know the Americans sent in Blackhawks and took us out you know they there's there's a thousand of those stories uh, I just want to come back to one point because we did this at the time too because we're so obsessed quite rightly in this country with accounting uh, for where federal dollars go etc even when we were there on the ground, we had to funnel every cent through some NGO or an organization like CARE Canada, because then we could audit them. When you're handing out live chickens to Afghan war widows, it's kind of hard to account in our way of accounting as to whether- Yeah, they don't give receipts. Program, you know, get receipts, whether that yeah. program is successful. Seeing it on the ground, it was hugely successful. But hmm. because we needed, um, you know, proof, we had to just say, well, we gave the money to care and then, you know, we could audit that. Maybe we need a bit of a rethink about how we're going to function in a very, very different world now where there's no black hats and white hats in the traditional way. No front lines in a war where the good guys are on one side, the bad on the other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we haven't had a rethink of our national security strategy since 2004. And yeah. boy, are things changing now. I mean, it's not only, you know, uh, I mean, at that point, Afghanistan was thought to be in our national interest. Um, what is in our national interest now? It's, it's not clear. But I mean, I'm just looking at the tea leaves. I don't have any insider information. But something interesting is happening to the Canadian-American relationship. And you just look at the yep. decision on um, on uh, batteries and the car industry. 
and and how long it took to reopen the border. It's not it's not it's not working well right now. And America's um, has a I mean, Biden um, is is in some ways uh, every bit an, an, the nationalist that Trump was on, on economic policy. So, you, you know, you know, it's interesting. We there, there's, there is a lot of work to be done, I think, in, in this town that I'm sitting in, in 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 planning and blueprints. One of the things I heard at this conference that uh, Emma Cloud and Lisa Raitt put on, nonpartisan one, was everybody's looking for a blueprint. Everybody says, okay, there's lots of tools in place. We've got carbon tax on things like um, climate change. So, but what we don't know is is how do we get there and what matters to us as a country. So, lots of work to do. And you know, you know, we have as a country before, whether it's a war cabinet, the remember the Rage and Price Control Commission. We we exactly. have the ability. We have the ability to overlay things and, and have these kinds of discussions. We just, you know, we just as a country uh, need our leaders to say it's time to have them. Well, we, we always make that mistake, too, that we think if there's a liberal in Ottawa and a Democrat in Washington, that it's it's all going to work and vice versa. If there's a, you know, a mm. conservative in Ottawa and a Republican, it actually doesn't work that way. <laughs> America operates in its national interest, regardless of the party. After 9-11, I know in New York, we fought tooth and nail about, you know, buy America only policies because they wanted to shut the border with Canada because they believed uh, it was too much of a sieve. Um, you know, they're going to continue with that kind of approach with buy America and protect America because it's very much part of the economic recovery. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about it in the Afghanistan context, but there has been an assumption that America will kind of take care of us in the world. Right. And, right. and I, and I'm not, I'm not sure that's true anymore. I mean, if yeah. you look at what's happening with, um, you know, some of the alliances are shifting pretty fast and uh, and it's not like we can count on, on Big Brother to make sure that he makes room at the table for us anymore. Yeah. The other issue, I guess, is that after that we, we need to recognize, and as you say, this is part of the big rethink. There's lots of reasons for uh, China in particular and Russia, again, to maintain its hold on uh, Afghanistan. It's an important route. They have a lot of valuable um, minerals in the ground, all of those things. Like this is still a strategic play. Oh, my goodness. I was just reading some of the intel that we got from our folks in Afghanistan today. And almost half of the bullet points were about how the Chinese government is assisting the Taliban ministries in certain kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, they, are, they are signing alliances. Um, there's a massive lithium mine. And lithium, of course, is key to yep. the battery future that we're looking at. And um, and so, yeah, the, 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 there's an opening. I mean, the good news is that China is is tying its assistance to helping uh, reduce terror in the country, tackle ISIS-K. So they're playing a constructive role, but they're also, of course, playing a, a role that's in their self-interest. But then, you know, don't all countries in some ways, you know? Yeah, we have to do that. And and I mean, we, we are living with this potential and, and leaders around the world have said it. This is a riskier time than we've seen in Afghanistan. This is once again a base from which terror will be exported. That's what a lot of people worry about and that the conditions that, that led to 9-11 and that, you know, changed all of our lives, yours too, Pam, yeah. um, is, uh, are, are, are there again. Uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, having gone through Russia, 
uh, having gone through America, now Afghan, uh, Afghanistan seems to be confronting the rising superpower in China. Let's see if China can do any, any better than the, the rest and of us. The rest. All right. So you and your friends at the Veterans Transition Network still obviously, as we've been discussing, in need of support and financial help so that we can keep some of these safe houses alive, continue to uh, make transportation and extraction plans. So what do, where, where do people look? Where can they get more info? So, so uh, vtncanada.org uh, yeah. is the fundraising arm and you, you, get a, you get a receipt for it. And then they pass that on to this coalition of people that are doing the work on the ground. And, you know, right now, if the safe houses are closing, we are still taking care of some people who don't have a home. Yeah. Um, if we can get airfare going... Um, that money will be useful. You can imagine that there's a pretty high inflation, the cost of uh, air seats out of Kabul right now. Yes. So there is a lot of work to be done and everybody is full on still and uh, we're not giving up. And I know this and you know this, the money is not going to support any bureaucracy. This is a direct funnel to people in need. And the entire effort is run by volunteers. So yeah. There you go. Yeah, 100% goes to people in need. Kevin, thanks very much for doing this again. We can always trust your journalistic brain to kind of take us down to the points that we need to focus on. So uh, we'll stay in age, touch age, on this. Age, aging journalistic brain. Yes, but thank you, Pam. We, we both have one of those, don't we? Help me, <laughs> <Yeah>. Lord. <laughs> okay, Kevin Newman, uh, thanks again. We'll, My we'll pleasure. talk soon. And that's it for this edition of No Nonsense with Pamela Wallen. 